And on this episode of Miami Miked Up, recapping the seasons of both the Florida Panthers and the Miami Heat. Now we're on the Miami Heat side, and it's the voice of the Miami Heat, Eric Reed, joining me today on Miami Miked Up. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time. Good to spend the time with you, Jeremy, and uh, enjoyed sharing a lot of this recently passed Miami Heat season with you. It was amazing. Obviously, I... uh, had the experience of a lifetime getting to share that with you guys. So uh, it, it was super fun. Um, and before we get into that season and all of the work that came with it, got to ask you, what's something recently outside of work that has brought you joy? Just having the relaxed time to spend with my family right now. Um, and, and it's as simple as that. The, the season went a lot longer than most of us anticipated. Yeah. Um, it's it's always the pause that refreshes, and you realize, you know how, how what a delicate balance it is when you're in season, and it's really cool not to have to be balanced when you get to the off season. It's it's all personal, it's all family, it's all important in taking care of the people that 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 you need to take care of most and to take care of you best. Absolutely, and and that's certainly well deserved uh, for someone who just worked you know hundred some odd games. Uh, this this season and postseason combined. Let's take a look back at this regular season. Pat Riley just spoke yesterday. We will get into some of those comments and some of the the upcoming storylines. But I feel like folks have moved on from a pretty incredible run pretty quickly to look at the offseason. So I do want to look back here real quick. In the NBA Finals, they came up against a team that we all saw at this point was the better team in the Denver Nuggets, led by Nikola Jokic, a guy who probably should have been a three-time MVP when we look back at this season. Um, I just want to hear your perspective as someone who has been a part of broadcasting championship teams, that you know, won with the Miami Heat, gone to championships and seen other championship teams. What was your perspective as you watched a team like the Denver Nuggets and, and some of the greatness that you were witnessing? impressed um you know it was their time they were a deserving and worthy nba champion um they have you know and and i didn't want to believe it till we had till we had to Uh, you know they were so impressive you know tearing through the western conference and what they did to the lakers in the conference finals uh you know a sweep with Mm -hmm. Jokic and murray combining for over 60 points a game and you know, you were paying attention to it, but so immersed in our conference final with the Celtics, which we all had our hands and emotions full. Right. Uh, but then we saw why and how Denver was the best team in the West all through the regular season. And they were clearly the best team in the whole league, you know, in the playoffs. Jokic is as unguardable a player as I can remember. He's a bigger, stronger version of, of Larry Bird. He's mm-hmm. everything you want a star player to be winning matters most Um, passing means more to him than scoring. And he does both at an extraordinarily high level. Uh, You know, I I, was, and and he's so good at making everybody else better. And, you know, with most star players, you can throw a second or a third defender and keep switching up your defense like Spo did. And it will have an impact with Jokic. It has no impact. Matter of fact, when you send that second defender, that sort of opens up the door to the the complete game that they beat you with. Remember, mm-hmm. the game he had 41 was the game Miami won, game two. His scoring hurts you less than the overall impact of his game. So, you know, he makes Murray um, – you know, Murray, by the way, Murray and, and the Nick guard, Brunson. Yep. 
two of the best players we saw in this postseason. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them has made an all-star team yet. But it, it's the Nuggets' time. Um, whether they can do it again, you know, we'll pick up this conversation next mm-hmm. fall, right. uh, see how the rosters look. But I like the fact that they immediately shifted their coach, Mike Malone, into now it's about being a dynasty and doing it again. And when you have the best player in the world, that's exactly the way they should be thinking. They got a young group. Uh, the Heat lost to a, to a great team, and it was the only team that that made Miami look the way Denver did. So yep. I think Miami would have probably beaten any other team in the league in the finals. I really believe that. Um, but, you know, Miami's offense – which hurt them during the regular season. Jerry, a lot of people wonder about the meaning of, of the regular season and the Heat's regular season made people question that even more. Does the regular season have meaning if a, if a 44 win eighth seed could get that far? It's a whole nother subject, but I do believe it does have great meaning. And then the meaning is far greater than simply the number of wins you accumulate. It's the lessons learned, the adversity yep. overcome, yep. the team bonding, that either happens or does not. Um, does winning come first? So all of those habits are created in the regular season. And 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 one of the and one of the clues, I always say that the regular season, most of the time, gives you enough hints that you're never shocked at what happens to you in the playoffs. Uh, I gotta stretch that to to fit this year. We were surprised at what happened in the playoffs, but at the end of it all, what hurt the heat in the regular season was their inability to score enough points mm. and that's what hurt them you know in the playoffs it was weird to see such a great playoff run in with seven losses in the last nine games bizarre under 100 points and you know in the last four or five i believe five of the last six losses so in the end um that offense failed miami but it wasn't a failure right. and that's i think the thing that people have the hardest time reconciling when you make it to a final or a championship game or final round, much like the Panthers went through, uh, similar to what the Miami Hurricanes and FAU went through getting yep. to a final four. Sometimes it is the journey. And the journey was dramatic and emphatic and surprising and uplifting and and everything you want a playoff journey to be. The Heat played their best basketball all year when it mattered most. But yet there's that emptiness and, yep. and a little bit of sadness when it ends. And and then time heals that that wound. And you you know what I'm gonna hold on to, Jeremy, is game seven at Boston, mm. coming back from that devastating game six loss at home and not only earning your right to play for a championship, but doing it on the parquet floor of Boston, uh, doing to them what they did to us a year earlier. And you know what that was? Beating us three times on our home floor, including game seven, for them to go to the finals. Yep. And we remember what happened to them. They lost there to the Warriors. This year, we had the similar fate. And although it hurt at the end, losing to Denver, how sweet it was to win the conference championship like that yep. against that team, a team that's become... You know, it was the Knicks in the late 90s up to 2000. It's the Celtics in Miami right now. I, I don't care what the rest of the league thinks. Three of the last four years, Miami and Boston has met to decide which team is going to represent the East uh, for an NBA championship. So it was a great ride. It was a great, great ride. We were all sad to see it end. And now it's a quick reboot, Jeremy, with yeah. the draft tomorrow and free agency and summer league within the next week or two. So uh, it, it's a quick reboot when you when you play into mid-June. Absolutely. And, you know, so many great points that you made there, including, you know, 
Boston, Miami have been the cream of the crop in the East. You know, you look at a, at a, at a journey like this one from Miami, and you were right where the regular season was ultimately predictive of what would be the downfall for the Miami Heat. It was that offense eventually. It just was an unbelievable ride to get there. And, you know, I think about this team, and it's now twice with this core, where there has been just this joyful postseason run. And I think the difference obviously comes in, in expectation. But I remember, you know, the feeling, as I'm sure you do, of of pins and needles and pressure during that big three era where every year you were making the finals, but it was this massive disappointment if you didn't get there. Where in 2020, in the midst of a time where we all needed something that was uplifting, this core made this unbelievable run in the bubble to the finals. And now as an eight seed, a, a team that during the regular season, so many folks really lost faith in, lost faith in, in the core of what this team was meant to be, to see them overcome and, and, and perform the way they did. It was so special and in large part, led by the performance of Jimmy Butler, who I'd like to just take one moment here to reflect on what that run really was. He obviously ran out of steam late in the postseason, you know, wasn't quite himself in that series against Denver and arguably even against Boston. But how impressed were you with what you saw from Jimmy Butler starting against Milwaukee and leading all the way through leading the Miami Heat to an NBA Finals? That is a lot of meat on the bone that you have left me to dine on right now. <laughs> First of all, what made this run so extraordinary and so unique is it was not accompanied by the great expectations that usually burden a team that is good enough to, to play in the gym. Right. We didn't have that this year, but that doesn't mean you didn't feel pressure in every single playoff game that he played this year. You know, mm. the weirdest thing, the, the only two games that 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 my nerves were low and my confidence was high was game seven at Boston yeah. and game five at Denver. Game seven at Boston because everybody thought it was over after yeah. that devastating <laughs> game six loss. Everybody. I can remember going on our post-game show right after that and trying to, you know, maintain your composure and perspective mm-hmm. and – all I could think of was it's not over and it's not over just because everybody thinks it's over. Mm -hmm. And if the Celtics let 1% of that seep into their mind, it's going to give our team a chance because you know, the way they are wired and made up led by Jimmy Butler and to bounce back like that, I think was probably the the greatest illumination of, of heat culture that I've ever seen. It reminded me of the LeBron game six win at Boston during the big three era. Uh, it was spectacular. So, uh, th- and and the same thing for Game Five at Denver. Yeah. Everybody thought it was over after the Heat lost Game Three and Four. I really felt like Miami was going to play a great game and be in it to the end. They were, and in the mm-hmm. end, Denver was just better. And sometimes <laughs> you 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 got to man up and just say they were the better team in this yep. series. It was their time. And and one of the things they did, we you know, we all focus so much on the offensive end of the floor, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. And certainly they were so efficient. It reminded me a little bit of the 77 Portland Trailblazers coached by Jack Ramsey wow. with a center named Bill, Bill Walton. Walton. And I'm just thinking of this as we're speaking. Yeah. Uh, that thought had not crossed my mind until now. But that great passing center in Bill Walton that made that Portland team magical made this Denver team special and magical and enjoyable to watch offensively. They shared it. 
Um, they weren't as dependent on one guy as you thought they would be. Uh, they were dependent on Jokic, but not just for his scoring. So, um, but defensively, and this is going to bring us back to Jimmy Butler conversation. Yeah, perfect. Pat Riley said it in his press conference the other day. Their game planning, first of all, the competition is going to get more difficult, more fierce, more formidable every round you go. That's the nature of, of the beast that is, you know, the playoffs in professional mm -hmm. sports. But by the time you get to Denver, they're game planning defensively. They had three series of tape to study playoff Jimmy. Yep. And, you know, they did a great job. They, they did not double him as much. They took away the passing lanes. And, and, and the amount of – listen, he's in – I look at Jimmy Butler, the, the fitness level, oh. uh, the way his body looks, the, the way he works to keep his body uh, in, in such good shape. Now, granted, there's a lot of miles on those tires. He's played a lot of years and a lot of minutes and mm -hmm. played almost every one of those minutes really, really hard. And and you know how hard. Everybody can see how how much he puts into each playoff game. So to me, it looked like he wasn't the same after spraining his ankle game one at New York. Yep. Didn't play in game two. And he was good to very good the rest of the playoffs. He wasn't. Superman, like he was right. in the Milwaukee series. But listen, were we really expecting 37 points a game? <laughs> right. On uh, 60% right. shooting, you know, through 25 playoff games? Right. Maybe we all got a little too greedy. But you know what? That's sort of what this Heat team needed from him to beat a Denver team that was as good as they were. And, and we all sort of conveniently forgot and never make excuses. But Tyler Hero, a guy that gave Huge Miami deal. 20 points a game and, uh, in the regular season, and Victor Oladipo, who was, who was ready to step in and contribute in his absence, they both go down and bless their hearts how, how well Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson. Duncan. You know, Max Struess had his ups and downs, but he always came back the next game ready to go, even after his, his rough outings. They did what they could do. Um, but, you know, your star's got to shine. Your role mm -hmm. player's got to excel. And for the most part, they did until they got to Denver. You know, when you sit here and think about this team and you think about all the different pieces that had to Jerry, thrive. One, one last thing. One yeah, last thing please. about Jimmy. I, I don't want to. What Jimmy Butler has done in his four years in Miami speaks for itself, really. Mm. Three times uh, in the conference finals, twice to the NBA finals. Um, he's already got more 40-point playoff games in his four years with the Heat than Dwayne Wade did, than LeBron James did. Crazy. And I mentioned those two for a reason. You put Jimmy Butler in that same sentence, three greatest playoff performers in the history of this franchise. It's Jimmy, uh, Dwayne, and LeBron in whatever order you want to put them in. But um, I love watching Jimmy Butler right now. He, I would say he's my favorite player in the league to watch for two reasons. Um, uh, he is as unselfish as a, a star player as I've seen. Mm. Uh, like Jokic, passing means more to him than, than scoring. And, and what I respect so much about Jimmy, the, the tone-setting way he approaches the game, and it's why he's such a good fit in Miami, he puts winning first. Yeah. That's all he cares about. And when your best player feels that way that's so, and, and works like he works – and and the ego is just about wins, not points per game. Your your franchise is in great shape, and when you surround him with like-minded guys that feel about winning like he does, 
you see a team that has had this kind of success led by Jimmy Butler. And listen, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, you know, some of the things that Pat Riley said. Yes, they do want to give Jimmy Butler more help. I, I remember saying that last year during the conference finals where Jimmy was doing everything. And after a loss, he would say, you know, I got to do more. And, and I remember one post game saying, no, he can't <laughs> do more. He, he needs help from others. Right. And that helps got to come from Bam and Tyler. This was two years ago, yep. our two next best players. Well, this year they didn't have Tyler. And I thought Bam, you know, broke through to another level with the kind of success he had in the playoffs. Yep. Listen, everybody's going to come up short against Jokic, no matter what center on what planet you can find that center on. Right now, they're going to come up second to Jokic. I thought Bam was great in the playoffs, and I think he will just continue to build and build. And these playoff frustrations and heartbreaks of getting to the finals and losing is just putting more wood on the fire of players like Bam and Jimmy. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm glad that you stepped back in to say all of that because what Jimmy did and what Bam has done, th these two guys as a duo have won more playoff games in the last four years than any other duo in the NBA, right? They have led this franchise to three conference finals, to two NBA finals, and, you know, so much of that is done on, on the back of, of playoff Jimmy, but all of the little things that Bam does and some of the huge performances that he had, both offensively and defensively throughout this postseason, should be appreciated. I know, you know, Bam, for whatever reason, tends to be a bit of a polarizing player because folks want him to score 40 whenever he wants to. But what he has done for this team has been truly spectacular. And so now, you know, as much as I'd like to spend time continuing to talk about this season and all of the role players it's kind of time to look forward. We've had the Pat Riley press conference. You know, we've heard from him. I guess where I'll, where I'll start with that is what stood out to you the most about what Pat Riley had to say as the Heat head into an offseason that feels crucial to be able to capitalize on the rest of Jimmy Butler's window in trying to not just make it to an NBA Finals, but win an NBA championship. You know, you wouldn't think recruiting plays a factor in pro sports. It does. Mm -hmm. And the Heat's two best recruiters, in my opinion, are Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I think players around the league, most of them want to play with guys like that, that, that are unselfish, that care about winning. So if you're wired that way, those two guys make Miami a very attractive place, more attractive than no state income taxes or <laughs> South Beach or palm trees. If you're serious about winning in the NBA, those are two guys you'd like to partner with. You know, the Pat Riley press conference, Jeremy, for as, you know, the 27, 28 years Pat's been with the Heat, um, and I've been with the Heat for all 35 seasons. That is one press conference I will never in my power miss because – especially now that Pat's not coaching and he yep. is more in the background and we get a chance to speak to him more than his once a year press conferences, which we feel blessed because anytime you brush with greatness, you are enhanced by that greatness and by their knowledge and experience and, and being around great coaches. I've been blessed with that my whole broadcasting career long before I got to Miami, but to be around him, mm. you know, it's, it's special. So you always want to hear his message. You usually come away from that press conference hearing a lot of really interesting things and having sort of a, a vision of what the message was and what clues is he going to drop? And I thought, his press conference this week was sort of harder to decipher. Now, 
I was thoroughly entertained by it. <laughs> um, I always enjoy listening to Pat Riley speak about life and speak about basketball. Yep. We don't get a chance to do that as a group or as a fan base, certainly, to hear from Pat. And I respect, listen, you know, the respect is endless for a million reasons, but in his position, Hall of Fame coach, he one of the things he said in that conference that, that just resonated with me, the way he referred to Eric Spolcher, the, he called him the best coach in basketball. And later on, he got back to, he said, he feels so much pride uh, in exposed success. Mm-hmm. It was Pat's vision Nobody in in the NBA knew about Eric Spolscher when he was a video coordinator more than Pat Riley and the Heat did. And Pat, the vi- you know what makes great people great? The vision to see things ahead of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. That's one of the great visionary picks in 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 Pat Riley's history. He's really proud of it. So that resonated. But in terms, and, and I really respect the way Pat was a coach. He knows what it's like how to input when that input is needed and when that input should be held back. And I think you heard Eric Spolster say it a few times during the finals. The only person I really want to speak to right now is Pat Riley. So that's the kind of balance in their relationship that they enjoy. And, and, and you know, Pat Riley helped create Spo. He helped, he, he, you know, he, the soil was fertile. He watered him. He, you know, he did all the right <laughs> things to help Spo grow. And now he had the qualities to let Spo grow to be who Spo is. Mm. And Spo has become very much his own man. Um, he's taken the culture and updated it to today's game. And uh, to hear Pat talk that way about Spo, I enjoyed that. And, and Spo deserved that. So that was really cool. Absolutely. In terms of, future direction. I think Pat said a lot of things that people wanted to hear. (laughs) We want to get better. I want to give Jimmy more help. And he said some things that maybe people weren't so sure they wanted to hear, or maybe some do want to run it back with the same group. All the options are on the table. It's unpredictable and it's tricky, especially with the new collective bargaining agreement kicking in next year. The financial ramifications, I don't want to bore people, but the financial and punitive ramifications with the basketball moves a franchise could make are now tied into being over the cap and into the tax. And Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot to be wary and cautious of. You always have to be mindful when when you're ready to make personnel moves, whether it's which player you're going to draft, which free agent you're going to sign, and especially if you're going to make trades. What do you have to give up from a personnel perspective, and what is it going to mean to your franchise from a financial perspective? And all I can say, Jeremy, is you know this is when you you sit back and you you thank your 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 basketball stars in heaven that we've got Pat Riley yep. and Andy Ellisberg. And, and all the other people at that basketball table, Mickey and, and Nick Harrison, uh, Alonzo Mourning, um, you know, Adam Simon, Chet Kammerer, Eric Amsler, Dave Beyer, Bob McAdoo. You know, there are a lot of people at that table. Uh, I mentioned Zoe. Yeah. I, I, that's another thing that, that Pat said yesterday that, that amused me and informed all of us what it's like to be at that table. He said, everybody has a voice but everybody doesn't have a vote. Now, how that really comes down, that, that that's fine. Let's keep it in that room. <laughs> right. But I just love the way that sounds. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's how a well-run organization operates. 
he gives these people that he trusts a voice and then they make a collaborative intelligent decision and 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 in pat and mickey and the arison family and that basketball group um they want to win more than you know as much as fans think they want want to be a part of a championship team for pat riley to still be this passionate yep. at the age of 78 with all the championships he's already been a part of it's it, it tells you everything you need to know about who pat riley is and why he's so special and and all that he has done you know that arison riley bond at the top yep. it has made the miami heat one of the great organizations in all of professional sports for almost 30 years now well riley mentioned it himself right he was the basketball guy and arison was the business guy and that's sort of melded together molded together to where now you know, Arison's a basketball guy too, and they've built this entire franchise with all of these voices that ultimately do help them make informed decisions. And it, it's great to be, you know, whether it's us, you know, covering the team or you're a fan of the team, it's great to know that the team you're interested in is always making decisions to try to compete at the highest level and win championships. And so, obviously, Eric, as we head into this offseason and we talk about all of these different moves that are potentially on the table for Miami, you already mentioned, look, it could be minor tweaks, as Pat Riley said, you know, it could be, you know, major moves. And I think as we head into the NBA draft on Thursday night, that'll likely be telling in regard to some of the biggest names in basketball and whether or not they could be on the move. Obviously, all eyes are on the Portland Trailblazers. So, Eric, your thoughts on what the NBA draft could tell us and, you know, of course, Damian Lillard. First of all, I'm excited to see the Spurs pick Victor Wembenyama with oh, the man. first pick. <laughs> um, they say he is a transformational young gentleman who is going to change the fortune of whatever franchise he went to. Um I, I hope he does that. I hope he lives up to that potential. He seems very slender on that seven foot four frame, but uh, we're about to witness uh, a new era, the Victor Wembenyama era. I happen to be a huge fan of Greg Popovich. Of I know he is late in his career, and I had a vision during the season about Wembenyama going to the Spurs because of Pop. The way mm. Pop started with David Robinson and then Tim Duncan. To me, he's the perfect coach. That's a that's a perfect place, and I, I see Pop's final chapters uh, being written around the beginning of Wembenyama's career. So I'm, I couldn't I'm agree happy with you more. That that story. In terms of the offseason for the Heat, listen. First first order of business is inventory of your own guys. Mm -hmm. We know that Max Struess and Gabe Vincent are free agents. Omer Yurtseven can become a, a free agent as well. Uh, so the Heat have decisions to make on those three fronts and and other. Other decisions with their own roster management on what they want to keep and, and what they may be willing to do with, with some of these other guys. I think the draft, you know, there's been a lot of Damian Lillard talk. Uh, he is under contract with, with the Trailblazers. He has been a lifetime Trailblazer. It, that has meant a lot to him, obviously, to, to, to stay put where he's been. He's got a family. Yeah. He's, he's invested there emotionally and in and, and many ways. He has not wanted to move in the past. Correct. It seems as the clock is ticking that maybe he's more open to that move now. I think the draft is going to be the first card turned over on what Lillard's future in Portland will be. Mm. If they trade the pick 
for a veteran player to team with a Damian Lillard, that is telling signifies one direction. If they keep the pick, and I think the intrigue right now is with Charlotte. We know Wembenyama's going one. At number two, it's either going to be, you know, the young man from Alabama or or Scoot Henderson, right? Right. Now they they have one of the ball brothers as their point guard in Charlotte. Chances are they're going with the kid from Alabama, which wow. would leave Scoot this man child of a, a teenage <laughs> point guard uh, to go to Portland. Yeah. I don't know anything, but to me, that's a guy that may take Lillard's place rather than team with Lillard. But yep. who knows? That's, that's for Portland and Lillard to decide. But that's the first card that's going to get turned over on what Portland's intentions are. And then we'll all stay tuned to see, you know, how Lillard responds to whatever his team does. And, and for Miami, listen, everybody wants it right now. You know, yeah. we have to let this play out. And again, mindful, prudent, um, aggressive when, when the time is right. Pat Riley knows this team is close, close enough that they played for the, for the championship this year. Mm-hmm. So that tells you you are one of those teams that can do it. Um, Jimmy Butler, you know, the, still in the prime of his career, you want to add to it right now. So the Heat is going to do everything they can to come back a better team next year. Some of that will be improvement from within, and some of that is going to be what pieces can they move around or potentially add. And that, listen, that's why every offseason is interesting and intriguing. And with the new CBA ready to kick in, this one is trickier than maybe any that's ever come before it, as you've got to, you know, make moves mindfully of how the financial aspect of it is going to affect you, not just from how much money your your owner or your team is spending uh, to run it, but how it affects your ability to give out contracts and make right. trades. Uh, these are all decisions that have to be and will be factored in before Miami does anything. But you, Anybody that's been around long enough knows what the Arison family and what Pat Riley and what the Miami Heat are all about. It's contending, competing, and, and winning championships. And like Pat said, it's been over 10 years. <laughs> They're getting a little antsy and, and itchy to get another one in there. And uh, we almost did it this year. And, yep. and let's hope we can knock on that same door again next year. He said persistence and perseverance have always been a part of his vocabulary. And patience is one that's just sort of joined the vocabulary for him. I think that's obviously impacted the moves that they've made thus far or lack of moves that they made in going to get Bradley Beal. And I think that that will indicate the way that the Heat operate throughout this offseason. Intrigued to see they do have a first-round draft pick on Thursday night. Interested to see if there's any potential uh, players joining the Heat through that as well or if that's ultimately used as a move. Eric, right before I let you go, this will be the last question. During Pat Riley's presser at the very end, uh, he ended with a, an unbelievably beautiful story um, about Udonis Haslam and how and I won't everyone can go find the details. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and link uh, that audio to this podcast as well so people can hear the story. You know, he's special to this organization, as is oh, as is a lot of players who have played for us. And there's not much more to say about Udonis other than I said to him, chill out. You know, spend time with your family and your friends and, you know, someday we'll talk, you know, in the future about things. And, and you know, the impact that, you know, that, that players have. I, I can remember it was, was it March 9th, I think March 9th, 2020. 
I think it was the night of the gala prior to March 11th that uh, they shut the season down. And March 9th was the night that I found out my brother died. And it was at, it was at the gala. And I, and I walked outside. I took the call from my nephew. And I was just hanging on a chain link fence. And then I felt this hand on my shoulder. <laughs> and it was UD. He said, I got you. You know. He walked into my car and so that's the kind of man he is. He's uh he's special, he's unique. We're gonna miss him. But he'll be around. He'll be around us a lot. An unbelievable story from from Riley about UD and, and the man that he is and, and consoling Riley in a moment where he needed it. Um I feel like at the end of this season at the end of a spectacular career for Udonis Haslam, someone who you've now known for 20 seasons and covered every last play of his career, um, to send him out and to send this podcast out. I say Udonis Haslam, you say what? One of a kind, one of the great stories um, in NBA history, I think, really. Uh, you know, Dirk and Kobe and Udonis, the only three players to play 20 seasons with one team, only for Udonis, he was the only undrafted player among them. And, and, and he grew up in Miami. He grew up as a kid watching Grant Long play for Ronnie Rothstein as our first power forward. And now he'll be the power forward, which all others will always be measured against. And, and nobody will ever come close in, in terms of carrying that torch of long-term mentorship and leadership, unselfishness. He he really embodies Udonis everything that the Heat culture is all about. It's been yep. said so many times and in so many ways, it's real. I I feel so fortunate to have crossed his path, to have witnessed his 20-year career. And listen, I you know his coach at first of all, Udonis was an overweight kid at Miami High. Um, was you know a round mound of rebound as a Florida Gator to hear Billy Donovan, my close friend Billy Donovan, uh, talk about you know coaching UD as a Florida Gator and how unselfish Haslam was then. How the only thing that mattered to him then was winning, and and then Haslam goes overseas for a year in France, loses all that weight, and even now in his forties, mm. it's hard to find a guy in better shape crazy. Uh, in the NBA than Udonis Haslam. So he kept himself sharp and ready. He led by example. He enjoyed others' success. He kept nourishing and feeding experience and confidence. And, you know, that's one of the reasons the Heat have been special. You can't just have a lot of great young players in that room. you got to have some veteran leaders, the right kind of veterans that show the young players what it means to be a member of this team, how to be a professional, what winning means, what winning takes. And Haslam has done that for, for so long and – we, we all wish him just a great post-career life. I'm yeah. sure he'll have one. He's already well-invested as a businessman. He's a, a, a servant to his community. Um, uh, we, we need more Udonis Haslam's, but I'm glad we have this one Udonis Haslam, who I think now will be a lightning rod of change and improvement to society overall. Absolutely. And I look forward to seeing the impact that Udonis Haslam will make, um, you know, 
not only as he stays with the Heat, but in South Florida and his voice, his actions, all that he stands for. I, I think we need a we need that. And uh, it's refreshing. And I'm just so happy for him that he got to go out like he did. Yep. He, he became the oldest player to ever participate in an NBA Finals game. He got into that one game. And it was a fitting way. And, and I think it satisfied him. Listen, the storybook was go out as champion. Um, the way he went out still as a champion. I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember his jump shot in Brooklyn to give Wade the triple-double in always. Dwayne's last game. And Dwayne and Udonis will will always be grouped together one day up in the rafters um, and forever in our hearts. It's just great key legends and heroes and great people. You said it right. We need more Udonis Haslam's. He's an incredible person. Um, it's been I'm so grateful to have been around his final season. And you know, Pat Riley spoke of of five different iterations of Miami Heat basketball in his press conference. UD was there for four of them. This is very much the end of an era of Miami Heat basketball with Udonis Haslam going, but this will be the continuation of a fun time in the Jimmy Butler years. Uh, Eric Reed, thank you so much. Incredible work this year as the voice of the Miami Heat. It was a uh, pleasure to work alongside you some and listen and watch along to the rest of our broadcasts. Um, congratulations on an amazing season, and can't wait to be back with you at the start of the season in October. Thank you, Jeremy. All those same feelings right back at you. You know, one of the greatest sights I saw during the playoffs was after our game one win at Milwaukee, walking back to the hotel and and happened to walk into the same area, the restaurant that Pat Riley and Alonzo Mourning and Andy Ellisberg and some other basketball people were sitting there. And to see Zoe and Pat, that connected still, that forged together through everything that they went through. And, you know, it's like looking at part of the Mount Rushmore of our franchise. And, yeah. and, and guess what? Now, now we're going to see Pat and Zoe and Udonis. That, that Mount Rushmore grows and continues. And uh, it's, it's really, really cool. And listen, one of the great things we enjoyed with you, Jeremy, you know where I'm going. I'm in the studio. You know, it, it, sometimes it's hard to contain your enthusiasm in a, the sterile setting of a studio. Uh-huh. But I had Crowdy and, and Rothstein sitting alongside, and we were ecstatic <laughs> with that win, as was everybody. But the highlight of that show was when we went to you at the at the Heat Road Rally at Kaseya Center. And your report, I know you've got big play on the Levitard show. <laughs> it, the energy was so sincere, right? And it came out, and mm. it's just added to the fun and enjoyment of that night. And, and to my recollection, it, it's the only road rally where, where babies were lost <laughs> in the air. And you were there. Uh, I was there to witness it, forever grateful for it, and forever grateful for the response from you afterwards, which truly made my night. Eric Reed, thank you so much for joining me on Miami Mic'd Up. Jeremy, great work with this show and everything else you do. We'll see you at the, at the ball game, at the ballpark this summer, and we'll see you back at the Heat's house in October. And now with the Florida Panthers season coming to an end, unfortunately just a few wins short of a Stanley Cup final win, we have the voice of the Florida Panthers joining me today on Miami Mic'd Up. You watched him on every single broadcast this season up through the first round and, of course, on the Panthers live postgame show after every single game this postseason. Steve Goldstein, Goldie, here with me on Miami Mic'd Up. Goldie, first of all, thank you so much just for taking some time in the immediate aftermath of this Panthers loss to join me today on the show. No, of course, Jeremy, always good to be with you. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was kind of 
started as a little bit of a joke after they won game two in Boston. I'm like, Hey, one down 15 to go. And then, <laughs> right. you know, after they beat the Bruins, Hey, four down 12 to go. And then eight down eight again, it actually got to 13 down three to go. You, you could kind of smell it a little bit, but obviously uh, just not enough for various reasons and beaten by a team that, uh, Hey, it, it was much like the heat, you know, it was Denver's time. It was Vegas's time. Absolutely, absolutely. And we will dive into that in just a second. Um, you're a veteran here, though, on this podcast. So you know the first thing I'm going to ask you, which is what and if there's anything, because it has been a crazy work time for you. But what is there recently outside of work, outside of hockey that has recently brought you joy? <laughs> uh, watching the heat every night the Panthers weren't playing. <laughs> Perfect. Honestly, I've, been, I've been doing nothing but working. Uh, doing interviews, doing post-game shows, watching sports, getting very little sleep, basically just like every other sports fan in South Florida. Just yep. the Knights of the Panthers, I had a lot of work to do when people were just watching the game. But other than that, uh, yeah, it's been too, it's been awesome. I think, Jeremy, I think this was such a – we're going to look back on this five years from now, ten years from now in South Florida. We kind of grew up as a sports market the last eight weeks, literally, because now we've got younger people. We got kids. We got people that weren't sports fans that are now on board. And the heat have been there. The heat have done this seven times since 2006, but the every other night factor of these teams, just back and forth and where they came from, you know, all those other titles, you know, you had LeBron and Dwayne Wade, the heat were great teams. No, both these teams, the heat and the Panthers were one game away from not even being in the playoffs. I, I think we're going to look back at these eight weeks and say it was really significant in cultivating a fan base uh, more so and bringing some of the non-sports fans to the party, more so in the Panthers' case because the Heat yeah. already had that great fan base. And, and, I, and I think it's phenomenal, and it's been a lot of fun watching it. We were like, you know, the last two months, you could throw us up there with a New York, a Philly, a Boston. We were right there, and, and it was a pleasure to see every night. Miami slash South Florida in general really was like the sports capital of the world over the last couple of months. And God, you add Lionel Messi to the mix. And that, that's right, just another part that. of it. I mean, <laughs> and hey, Marlins have won a bunch of games in a row. Like, it's been really fun. Um, and to watch these two teams, like you mentioned, like it it turned every Panthers game into an event in the way that Heat games have become an event. And I hope that um, you know the, these new Panthers fans who have, have been welcomed into the party remain because it was so fun getting to every single one of these games and they've always had an incredible home ice atmosphere. But but during this run, it, it was it was special. Um, so let's talk briefly about sort of the the sad part first, which is the Stanley Cup final loss. Before we get to all of the nostalgia of this season and all the joy that it brought us, I, I guess my question for you will be. What went wrong for Florida? You know, how much of this had to do with the Knights and, and you know, them just being a better team? And how much of this had to do with, you know, the Panthers and just sort of losing steam injuries and, you know, maybe being overmatched? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. First of all, they didn't get the defensive play and the goaltending that they got in the previous series. Sergei Bobrovsky was unbelievable against Toronto and Carolina. You know, you had stretches like, like what Vegas did during the cup final. Carolina and Toronto did that in stretches, but Rofsky just wouldn't allow any goals in. And maybe it was the layoff. Maybe it was just you can't do that for that long because he was just absolutely on fire. 
I mean, some of the best goaltending I've ever seen in my life watching high. Go back to Patrick Waugh when he was mm. with the Canadians in 80s, just literally standing on his head and stealing games. Um, and Sergei Bobrovsky did that. So that's number one. Uh, you know, the injury factor. Uh, I'm not a big injury guy, but it definitely was a fact. And the yeah. fact that the Panthers just do not have the depth. You know, you lose a guy like Etu Losterina, and the Panthers can't replace him. And Etu's had a great breakout year had a great playoffs, but he's a role player. And you should be able to replace that guy, in my opinion. And they just didn't have enough guys to be able to do that. Then you throw on Bennett and Ekblad and Kachuk and Gudis, and all these guys are banged up. And, you know, Duclair was dinged up. And uh, and it was Vegas' time. They've been knocking on the door. You know, they had six of their original players that made the cup final six years ago in their inaugural year. Six more guys that they brought in that had won Stanley Cups, including the two defensemen, Martinez and Petrangelo. And... They didn't make the playoffs last year, so they had that big disappointment. And then they come in this year, and it all just goes together. They're a deep team. They, they, they kept their health. They were healthy. They blocked, what, 125 shots or something in the five games, willing to pay the price, able to get there, get in those shooting lanes. So I think it's multifaceted of why the Panthers couldn't keep it going. But uh, certainly, you know, getting blown out in game two and game five, those were the disappointments. Um you know, they won one of the other three games. Uh, you know, they were right there in every one of them. It's a one-goal yep. game, tie game in the third period. Um, but but ultimately, I do think that the Chuck injury, the fact that, you know, he was a shell of himself and Aaron Eckbride probably was with, you know, banged up shoulder, ripped oblique, broken foot, and, and Gudis as well. Uh, but again, you know, those are – it's another learning step, right? So – Three years ago, they had that great series against Tampa. They lose in sixth, yep. and they realize what it takes to win. Then they go and beat Washington last year. They win a series. Now this year, you win three series. Now you look at Vegas. Oh, boy, there's another level. You got to get maybe a little bigger. You got to get a little bit deeper. So I think all those things combined, it would have been awesome, Jeremy, if they could have just brought it back for game six, one more night in that building. Yep. But unfortunately, it was, uh, you know, it was a beatdown in game five. That's what it was. Yeah, and it was Vegas's time, like you mentioned. I mean, this team had had so much Stanley Cup experience, and you know, it's funny. I I, I did see a uh, a sign outside the game that said, "We've been waiting six whole years for this." You know, <laughs> right. l- lucky Vegas to be a franchise that has had this much success immediately. Um, I do have players that I want to get to, but I think we should start with the guy sort of at the helm here. Um, first year of Coach Paul Maurice. He's the first person I want to talk to here. You know, he came in and said, "Hey." We're going to play playoff hockey. And for so much of the regular season, I think fans were looking around going, all right, what, what does that mean? What's that going to mean? But boy, did that work out for this franchise. What's your assessment of the first year under head coach Paul Maurice? Well, it was interesting. You know, first off, Paul is such a great hockey guy, really intelligent person. And for someone that does what I do, he's incredible because, you know, you have, he always has time for the broadcasters and he would say numerous times publicly said this a few times, numerous times privately, you know, what's the point of making the playoffs if you don't have a game that you can win with once you get there. So we're going to have to go through this. We're going to have to learn how hard this is. And he started saying that in training camp. Um, and, you know, and he worked them those first five days kind of to see, okay, this is what we have to do. And to the players' credit, there was, to my knowledge, Jeremy, never anything in that dressing room where guys were like, what's this guy doing? We got 122 points. We were scoring five goals a game. 
There was never any of that. There was a realization, and maybe because, you know, the lead dog there is Barkov and he's willing to do all that. He knows what it takes and everybody else kind of just followed along, but they knew what they needed to get to. And I spoke to him the morning of game six against Boston. And again, you know, they won game five in Boston. You figured, okay, they're probably still not going to win the series, right? Because even if they win the game six at home, you got to go back up there for seven. And I was just chatting with him. And he said, you know, the best part of this, it's that they know eight months ago in September, I wasn't lying when I told them how hard this, this is the hard, yeah. he said the Boston series was the hardest playoff series uh, he's ever seen in his 25 years in the league. And by the way, I should mention what that Boston series may have taken out of them, may have come back to catch up to them in the Stanley Cup final physically, perhaps. Um, so it was an incredible maturation, you know, midway through the season, you started seeing them work and sometimes they didn't get the results, but as it kept going on, um, you know, Alex Lyon comes in out of nowhere, helps them make the play. I mean, they don't make it without him. And then all of a sudden they went up there for game five in Boston. And I guess they had this style of play in them and they really carried it through those three against Boston. And then really the nine games and probably the game three and four, you know, against Toronto, Carolina and Vegas. And if you don't see the type of connection that Paul Maurice has made with his players, you can just look at the the post-game sound. After the last game, the way he was talking about these guys, the, the, the emotion that was behind it, you don't see a lot of uh, hockey guys get very emotional. And Well, Jeremy, you know, let you, me say this. You know, yeah. that starts, you know, Paul Maurice does, and I think that's why Bill Zito hired him, and Bill Zito is the same way. And I'll tell you this, yep. Vinny Viola and his family and the Sifu family, the owners of the team, they're all the same way. They love these guys. They treat them great. Yep. They know they're talented players. They have respect for them. And from the top right on through, I mean, the players on this team are the stars of the show. They are treated that way. And in response, because they're a bunch of great guys, you never want to meet a better they bunch really of guys. They, they really it's are. They're all, you know, they're all terrific. Yep. Um, and, and they've responded with that. So I think it's a great point that you bring up um, the way that Paul Maurice treats his players and the feeling he has for them. Yeah, there's just a, a genuine mutual respect all throughout the organization that I think is is unique to find in sports. Um, and when you can find it with a hockey franchise like this, particularly when you're located in South Florida, certainly makes it a, a, a an intri- intriguing place for any sort of upcoming yeah. free agents. Um, and speak and speaking of big players that would be intriguing for upcoming free agents, uh, the guy who's now at the center of all of this is Matthew Kachuk, who you've mentioned before. Um, I think we can go ahead and say best trade in franchise history. Best trade in franchise history to go ahead and get that guy. You know, it, you it's think certainly up there. Getting rid of Huberdeau and Uyghur, right? Uyghur could be, but yeah, the, 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 he changed the whole culture. Yep. You know, he walked in here, and you know, he was—he's just so comfortable with it all, Jeremy. He, he's fine with it being on his back and all the big goals that he scored. He goes out there and backs it up. And I remember this: it was, uh, you know, our TV producer Jeff Wessel does a great job producing Panther games. Um, it must have been early March. Yeah, we were on the road somewhere. Me and Chopper sitting there in the back of the plane and talking. You know, I got to get on this big run. And Kachuk comes walking back. And he goes, hey, guys, what, what's the record? Because Kachuk probably knows. I'm like big geek with all this stuff, you know, nerded out. And uh, what's the record? What do we got to do to get in? And look at Chopper and go, yeah, 15 and 5. And he goes, okay, good turns around and walks back to the front of the plane. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so, amazing. You know, that's the kind of guy that he is and treats everyone. Mm. So, you know, Paul Maurice isn't like from broadcasters to trainers to the security guys outside the locker room.
treats everybody the same way he treats Alexander Barkov. So mm. it, it's a franchise changer having him there. And the beautiful thing is he and Barkov are locked up for another seven years in their prime. Yep, that's the part that that really, I think, has to have Panthers fans so excited. And the thing about Matthew Kachuk, it's funny. I remember the first time I met him was media day of this year. And he comes in wearing his jersey, wearing his flip-flops, just so just relaxed, right? <laughs> Such a relaxed presence that really exuded something different than what so many of these guys on this team have been before. There's a difference between that and even like you know, a veteran who was here in Joe Thornton. Like, it's a, it's a different energy. And the part that really stood out to me was he walked in and introduced himself to every single person in the room. Oh, right. hey, I'm, there hey, you I'm go. Matthew. Hey, I'm Matthew. Right. Hey, I'm Matthew. You know, I, ironically, I had the same thing with, with Victor Oladipo last year with the Heat, where it's just like this, this effervescence about the personality that stands out. And, of course, for Vic, you know, he's had this injury-plagued career that hasn't allowed him to be the star that Matthew Kachuk is in, in his respective sport. But it's that level of just commanding a room, um, but also having respect for others. And we can, you know, relate that back to, to Paul Maurice. And so I want to keep kind of going through this playoff run here. Another guy who obviously stands out for his story is Sergei Bobrovsky. You know, for Bob, I mean, I think about the up and downs of the emotions of of what the last few years have been, but even this year. You know, Spencer Knight is supposed to be sort of the prodigal son, and he's obviously dealt with everything he has off the ice, and that thrusts Bob right back into the mix as the guy. And then when he's sick, Alex Lyon overtakes his job, and he goes on this unbelievable run into the postseason. And then Bob is thrust right back into the scenario where he has to be the guy. How impressed are you with Sergei Bobrovsky and his ability to sort of put everything aside with the emotional ups and downs of this season and come through for this team when it mattered the most? Well, he's a real professional. He always has been. First one on the ice, morning skate, practice, works so hard at it. And really, if, even if you listen to him in the post games, Jeremy, he sounded the same after the sweep against Carolina. As he did on a Tuesday night in January yep. to loss yeah. to Columbus. <laughs> You're so so right. it's a process. I'm appreciative of being here. The guys are working hard. You know, I mean, he was the one after game seven in Boston. In the post game, he was kind of telling everybody, calm down. It's just right. nice, but it's one round. He was kind of saying there's a lot more to do. So it is impressive. It had to eat him up that Alex Lyon, you know, not – First off, he was a great supporter of Alex Lyon. Alex Lyon's told me that. But how do you eat him up as a professional that he's not out there playing? Give Paul Maurice credit. He knew the exact time when Lyon gave up that goal on that outside shot from Taylor Hall in game three. Now we got to get Bob in there, um, knowing that it could take a game for Bob to get back, which it did. He wasn't really good in game four. Mm -hmm. And then in game five, they win the game. um, and, And the rest is history. But it's just impressive. He plays through everything. He's a true professional. And those two series, Carolina and Toronto, uh, I haven't seen many goaltenders play whatever it was, a month or three weeks like that. And I'm hoping that that can be a springboard into next year for Sergei Bobrovsky. And whoever the other goaltender is with him, uh, he can give you whatever it is. And he plays 50, give you, you know, 30, 35 games at at that level. It's nice to know at 34 years old that Bob still has that in him. And and I was very happy for him because – been a lot of pressure on him. Uh, not his fault that he has the contract. If they offer Jeremy Taché seven years for seventy million, <laughs> I definitely Jeremy take it. Say, you know what? I'm, a, I'm just doing a podcast. I don't need ten million a year. You're going to take the contract. I'm going to take his it. Fault. 
And yeah. I feel like, you know, people talk about that a lot. And even though he tries to block it out, it's it's got to mm -hmm. be difficult. So uh, I was real happy for him. And, you know, most importantly, you know the type of guy he is, Jeremy, because his teammates were genuinely mm -hmm. happy for him. You know, it, it reminds me a bit, obviously, there in the same situation across town and in Duncan Robinson, who also thrived this postseason and some, and obviously not in, in the singularly dominant way that Sergei Bobrovsky did. But it was nice to see him, another guy who's been criticized for the contract, get an opportunity to stand out. Um, you know, when we continue to talk about this team, I guess so that we don't keep you forever, I'll ask who who is another individual or maybe a unit with this team that you believe sort of deserves their flowers for what this season was or even this postseason was? Well, to me, two guys jump out. You know, Kachuk kind of solidified this thing as this tough team and never give up. But Brandon Montour and Sam Bennett just Man. thoroughly emerged. Great trades by Bill Zito. He gives up a prospect a second round pick and a third round pick to get these guys and then re-signs both of them. And, you know, and Bennett, we find out was severely hurt because he wasn't the same in the cup final. And he actually got hurt in the Toronto series. Uh, this guy battles through everything so hard nosed. And, you know, that line when they had Nick cousins with Kachuk and Bennett, they played great for a few series and they were impactful. So I think Sam Bennett is one of those hard and soul guys that, you may not win the cup because of him, but you cannot win a Stanley Cup without a guy like that. Um, and, and Brandon Montour just emerged, Jeremy. Only five defensemen ever have had more goals in a playoff year than Brandon Montour did. Plays huge minutes, uh, brings a little bit of that juice, a little bit of that swagger to the table. And, uh, you know, he, he emerges their best defenseman. So I look at those two guys, what they bring off the ice, the passion kind of juice and energy and grit they bring the swagger they bring um real fabrics of now what makes up this panther team yeah i mean this core is, is a lot of fun as it moves forward and so before we do take a look forward toward the future i want to ask you from from a broadcast perspective this year do you have a moment on the broadcast that stands out as your favorite? Or do you have just a favorite memory, whether it's, you know, a road trip with the crew or something that happened silly on the air before before a game or after a game <laughs> that stands out as like, hey, this was one of my favorite memories from this season? Well, we really had a terrific time on the road in Boston when we yeah. went back up there, you know, and before game seven, it's like, you know, what are we doing here? These guys had 43 more points. They're the best regular season team ever. Nobody gave the Panthers a chance to win this. And, and here they are back in Boston. So, you know, that was pretty fun away from the ring. Boston's a great town. There's so much passion there. We got, you know, we went to Fenway, uh, went to, took in a Sox game. So all of that was fun. Um, you know, the moments, the Zach Dalpy goal in game six against Boston, you knew there was some magic. Like, what is Zach Dolphy doing tying game six and four? And, right. they, and remember, Jeremy, they lost the lead in game six. They were behind twice in the third period. They were behind in the third period in game seven against the Bruins. Um, but my number one moment, just from you know, a fan perspective, was when Kachuk scored with four seconds left to end the Eastern Conference Final, put him in the cup. The slide across the entire ice. There's been a lot of nights in that building, and you know this over the years, not recently, but before. 
there were seven, six, seven thousand people in that building and, and hope was not there. You wondered if they'd ever make a Stanley Cup final. And for them and Kachuk to score that goal and win that series, win the Eastern Conference final at home was just an amazing moment. I was so happy for all the fans. And um, yeah, that, that one struck struck the chord for me, like the, the old pinch yourself from where they came from to where they are. I mean, I was in the building and I've still just based off you describing it, I chills again all over my body and like welling up just thinking about how really it's storybook, man. It's 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 one of the coolest things when you can have moments of synchronicity like that in sports that are just so full circle to watch that guy after that trade be the one to send him there. It was really special. So now it's time to look into the future as much fun as we've had on this ride. You know, like you mentioned before, Kachuk and Barkov locked up long term, a whole bunch of great role players who were locked up as well, a fan base that's now rabid, a GM and a head coach who seem to be in sync and have the momentum of this postseason run moving forward. What are the expectations for this franchise as we move forward into next year? What's a realistic mindset for Florida Panthers fans to have? Oh, you got me fired up already for October. It's still four months away, but that was good, Jeremy. <laughs> um, you know, it was interesting after the game last night, Paul Marie saying some of these injured guys may not be ready to start the season in Man. four months. So so that's going to be and something were, to and watch. And they were playing in Stanley Cup final games. I mean, right. that's just, it's unbelievable. Right. So depending on who that is and how much time they miss, that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. You got salary cap. You know, if a guy can't play for two or three months, uh, the, the the LTIR, long-term injured reserve them, and you get the money. Those are all things Bill Zito is obviously going to have to sort out. Basically, everybody's under contract. Um, you know, Colin White, the Stalls, Ratko Gudis, Alex Lyon, the only free agents. But as we know, you know, Bill Zito, every offseason has done things that have made a lot of people say, now, now what are you doing there? Now, what you're trading a first-rounder and, and for Sam Reinhardt? And you're trading Huberto and Uyghur for Kachuk and you're signing Anthony Duclair and you're trading for the, and almost every move ends up working out. So I do yep. wonder, um, you know, they'll have some money. They, they got to get bigger and stronger. I think on defense, they did a great job putting it together this year from Mark Stahl might've been the best pickup for 750 grand I've ever seen. The guy played all 103 games, Jeremy, Crazy. every one of them. I mean, think about that. And Brandon Montour had this great year with Mark Stahl being his partner. So that was a factor as well. Um, so do they bring back Stahl? What happens to Gudis? Those are the two free agents on defense. How much better do they think they can get? How much money do you allocate to the blue line after you watch what Vegas did with those six interchangeable, big, strong defensemen that block shots? Do you think you have to go that route? Remember, we saw Tampa win those cups and get there. Again, the Lightning big, strong defense. So the Panthers need to tinker that. Is Bill Zito willing to give up something at forward in order to do that? You also have impact players with only one year left on their contract in Forsling, Montour, and Reinhardt. So, you know, next year they're under contract, but after that, they're free agents. They try to lock those guys up beforehand. So those are the kind of things I'm looking at. But, you know, Panther fans can just have full confidence. Number one, they're a cap team. Um, if the cap goes up, they'll spend to it, which is great. And number two, they found this creativity and they found players like Carter Verhage and Gustav Forsling. So, you know, most people might say, hey, let's just run it back. Worry about the summer of 24 and the summer of 24. Based on the last three summers, Florida Panthers don't do that. 
They get aggressive. They look and see what you need and forward think about this thing as well. So I think it'll be interesting to watch. But I would say that a little bit bigger, stronger defensively if they can, maybe more depth. You know, I mean, you had guys like Zach Dolp. He had to come in and play. Uh, great story for him. Well-deserved to, to get into that lineup in the playoffs. Dennis Stenko had a playing game five. You know, maybe they need a little bit more meat, a little bit more juice towards the bottom of that lineup. Hornquist was a big loss, and, you know, he, yeah. he's going to be done playing. So, you know, if you had Patrick Hornquist in these playoffs of mm. two years ago, that's a different story. So I, I think those are the areas. But as you said, you know, the guts of this team certainly are there. They're signed. And now, Jeremy, they've got that experience. You know, you, you can't tell someone what it's like to go through a Stanley Cup playoff run. It doesn't work. You got to experience it. And, and now they have. This core moving forward is exciting. Knowing that you have a general manager who's proactive as opposed to reactive is always exciting. Um and I know I'm already fired up as well for October. <laughs> I can't wait to get back. Can't wait to watch you on future Bally Sports Florida broadcasts. Steve Goldstein, thank you so much for taking the time and congratulations for real. I said it before we started recording, but yep. you did an unbelievable job telling the story of this season on our broadcasts. It was a joy to watch you and the rest of the crew um, and looking forward to many, many more broadcasts. Congratulations on a thousand by the way, a thousand NHL broadcasts for Steve Goldstein. You are too kind. I greatly appreciate it. I loved the season from the ups and downs. Looked like they were dead in the water, but I have one final question for you. I'm turning the tables on you. Oh boy. Okay. Do I keep the playoff beard now? Oh, I love it. You know, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah, I love it. So it's funny you say that because I almost, I swear, right before we started recording, when I was getting everything ready and I was rolling with it, I was thinking to myself, you know, this looks pretty good. The only issue might be it might get hot during the summer. It's already gotten hot. It's like 94. So, so, but leave it. Okay. I like it. Aesthetically, I'm I'm into it. it. Get yourself some like hip, it, hips, hipster glasses to go with you. You can really create a new look for yourself. Well, now really you got now, go now, you, now you got to take me I'm styling down to Miami you, yeah. and styling me up, bro. <laughs> now we got it going. All right, all right. Let's make it happen. Steve Goldstein, thanks Jeremy. so much. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché, and a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.